Um, man, I just can't tell you how excited I am for other reasons, not just because of, of football. Um, I, if you know me, I'm a sports junkie. But man, I try to, I try to keep those things in line and not let that be my top priority. I will confess to you, I do struggle a little bit like you do, most of you that I know. Um, but today we want to draw, we want God to draw our attention to Him. Amen. We want to be drawn into the presence of God. And to do that, we're going to kick off a new sermon series called Replay. And the Replay series is, um, is this. We're going to be looking at, uh, people who have lived a life of faith before us. They've lived some, uh, a life of some great faith plays. And you know what a replay is, right? A, a replay is when you, when you look back at something. In the, in the world of sports, a replay is, uh, it serves a purpose. The replay is to go back and watch a, uh, a spectacular play, or it's to go back and review a questionable call. And uh, we've, we've put together a little video for you. We're going to show you and uh, gives you an idea of what a replay is all about. Take a look. There you go. That's a replay. Amen. That's good. It's a lot of fun to watch those. And that's why we're going to be looking at 
Um, not some of the greatest football replays of all time, but we're going to look at some of the greatest faith plays of all time. And we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 11. If you take your Bible and turn there this morning, Hebrews chapter 11, we're also going to look at a couple of things in Genesis chapter 3 and 4. Hebrews chapter 11 and Genesis chapter 3 and 4. You know, faith is one of the most important things that we can discuss um, because today we're facing a lot of pressure. There are social pressures, there's relational pressure, there's financial pressure. We're facing a lot of religious pressures as well. Uh, there's also political pressure. There's pressure to concede and to conform and we're pressured to give in and to tolerate and to choose and uh, to the pressure potentially cast doubts on what we believe and what we believe about God. And if you didn't already know, we live in a world that is unstable and it's uncertain and our systems and security are breaking down. There are a lot of unknowns about the future. If you watch the news, you will find that there are a lot of unknowns about the future. I try not to watch the news because there are a lot of unknowns about the future and they let us know about it. And we can walk around living a life in negativity and in fear if we consume our lives with the the negative messages that we hear in the news and in the world today. But there are a lot of unknowns about the future. And for many of us, our faith will be shaken. For many of us, our faith will be shaken and our faith will be challenged and it'll be clung to with skepticism and with doubt. And my goal in this message series is to encourage you in the faith to press on, to persevere, and not to give up on God and His faithfulness. And so today, we're going to talk about faith and what it means to live by faith. And if we're going to live by faith, then we have to understand what faith is. You know, faith could be a very elementary, very basic doctrinal uh, message that we share today. But there's really so much more to faith and so much more that faith plays in our life than we give it credit. And so we're going to talk about faith. Um, to understand it, we have to have a working definition. That's basically what we're going to talk about today. But the dictionary has a variety of de- definitions when it describes what faith is. First, it says that faith is a system of beliefs. It's a system of beliefs, and it's a belief in God or in a, uh, a doctrine or of teachings of a religion like the Christian faith, uh, the Muslim faith, the, the Jewish faith. And so we're not going to talk about faith in the context of a system of beliefs or a system of religious practices. We're going to talk about faith in the context of confidence or trust in a person or a thing. That's one way that the dictionary describes it. But we're going to talk about it in the context of having confidence in a person. And that person is God himself. We're going to talk about faith in the confidence, having confidence in God. It's about belief that is not based on proof. Faith is about belief that is not based on proof. Faith is a spiritual force that has always existed. It's always existed with God. It's not a New Testament phenomenon. It's not something that's new. But faith existed in the Old Testament. People lived and operated by faith. They just didn't know exactly what it was. And Hebrews chapter 11 is commonly referred to as the faith hall of fame or the faith ring of honor because it reveals the names of people in the Old Testament that lived their life by faith. And they were known by God by the faith 
that they had. And so Hebrews 11, verse 1 through 6 is where we're going to be today. And this is what it says. It says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the elders, when it talks about the elders, it's talking about the older people that lived back in the day, back in the Old Testament times, says the elders obtained a good testimony because of their faith. And verse three, by faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying that by faith, we believe that God created our existence. He created this world. He spoke it into existence. And then we move on to verse six. It says in verse six, without faith, it is impossible to please him. It's impossible to please God without faith. For, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So throughout this chapter, the writer lists all these people who are well known by God for their faith. The person that is listed first is a man named Abel. Abel, you probably know, is uh, the son or he was the son of Adam and Eve. He was the second born son, as it's recorded, and uh, the other brother was named Cain. So you have Cain and Abel, and both were prompted by God to bring a sacrifice. And it was part of, it was part of a life and a lifestyle of worship. And Abel sacrifice, his, uh, his sacrifice respected and honored God, and Cain's somehow did not. And so Cain got jealous, and in the end he murdered his brother. You know that story. Well, verse 4 in Hebrews chapter 11 tells us how this happened. It says in verse 4, it says that by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain through, Cain, uh, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he being dead, still speaks. And so it says that Abel's sacrifice was more pleasing to God because it was a sacrifice of faith. And when you break all this down, it's interesting because there isn't a lot of, a lot of, a lot of information that we have about Cain and Abel outside of Genesis chapter three and four. There's not a lot said about them. But when you dig into the scriptures, you begin to uncover a little bit more, uh, some things that, that help us to understand a little bit more about these guys and why Abel's faith was so great. And the first thing you have to see is that it was a matter of worship. It was a matter of worship. They had possibly uh, been involved with uh, with their parents and worshiping God. You know, um, Adam and Eve had sinned and there came a time when they brought a sacrifice to God. If you look in the scriptures, you'll see that God clothed them with a skin. And where'd that skin come from? It came from shed blood. They, uh, an animal was sh- had to shed its blood and die and the skin was taken and they took it and made clothing for themselves and they possibly brought this animal before God as a sacrifice of worship. I don't know if Cain and Abel were there or not, but I'm sure that this practice of worship continued by their parents with God. And so they, they learned it. Possibly also they, they heard from God themselves and God said, Hey, I want you to bring a sacrifice of your own because the Bible says that, that Cain was a tiller of the ground. He was a farmer and that Abel was, he was a, he was a shepherd. He kept the, the herds and the flocks and he watched over them. And so it's possible that God told them to bring that sacrifice from their own work to him. And so God had given them instructions about worship and sacrifice. 
And this is something else we know. First of all, is that there was a designated place of worship. There was a designated place of worship. We don't know exactly where it is, but we do know that it was at the east side of the garden. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 24, it says that he placed a cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. And so the place of worship may have been at the east side of the garden where the Lord had set up that cherubim and the flaming sword. And perhaps that flaming sword represented the the Shekinah glory or the divine presence of God there. And maybe that's where they had gone to make sacrifice before God. Second thing is that there was a designated time of worship. Genesis chapter 4 verse 3 says that it's very specific. There's a very specific phrase here that says it came about in the course of time at the end of days. Perhaps it was the end of a certain week or a certain month or even a certain day that they made this atonement before God. And I mean, God is a God of order. And I'm sure that God had had arranged a specific time for them to come into this place where they would meet God and offer their sacrifices. But third, there was a designated way to worship. Abel understood the way and he obeyed it. Look at Genesis chapter 4 verse 3. Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain in his offering. And there are a couple of things I want you to note in this scripture. It says that Cain brought an offering. You can circle the word and, or you can circle that little phrase, an offering. He just brought an offering. God had given a specific instruction about what kind of offering to bring. And it says that Cain brought an offering. And then it says that Abel brought of the firstborn and of their fat. And right here is where you're going to find that it's really good to have fat. Okay? It's really good. And it says right here, the term firstborn and fat, they're significant. They're key words to describe Abel's offering that he brought to show that it was superior to what his brother brought. See, the term firstborn is significant because, uh, and fat is significant because it represents the very best. It represents the very best of what they had. And here's where we get the foundation for the insufficient quality of Cain's offering. Abel brings God the firstborn of his flock and the fat thereof. And when you look at Cain, there's an absence of an adjective. There is nothing that describes the offering that Cain brought. He just says that he brought an offering. So notice that God says that he has respect for Abel's offering. These two sons of Adam and Eve had definitely been instructed of what to bring. And so you ask the question, why is it that Abel's was better? It's because he, he came in faith. And the reason he came in faith is because he heard what God said and he realized that the offering that he was being asked to give was an offering of sacrifice. It was to come and make a sacrifice to give of the best that he had. And I can, I can, I can reason in my mind and I can really connect with Cain because I know the challenges of what it means to be, to be prompted by God to bring your very best. And it's really hard sometimes to give up our very best. If you think about this just for a minute, think about Cain being a farmer and raising these crops. And, you know, you think about bringing the very best that you have. I don't really think that it was 
God asking Cain to bring the very best pumpkin that he had, or the very best cantaloupe that he had, or the very best bushel of wheat that he had, or the very best watermelon that he had. I think it goes a lot deeper than that. I think that it was, hey, Cain, I want you to bring the very best that you have. And in that context, it was, I want you to bring your first, your first crop. I want you to bring the very first crop that you have. And hey, Abel, I don't just want you to bring the, the, the first calf that you have or the first lamb that you have. I want you to bring the firstborn of every female that gives birth this year. And I want you to bring it as a sacrifice to me. That's all God said is just bring the sacrifice. And when you're, when you're, when you're constantly said, when you're constantly prompted to bring the sacrifice, where does your mind go? Just think of Abraham bringing his son to sacrifice. He thought that his son was going to die, right? And then think about these guys bringing the sacrifice. Okay. If I, if I bring all that I have, God's going to slaughter them and we're not going to have any food to eat for the whole year. A couple of years ago, I was challenged by God to bring a sacrifice. And God said, Brian, are you willing to give up your whole salary? And you, some of you know this story. Of course not, God. I'm not willing to do that. Try to go to sleep and God says, hey, Brian, are you willing to give up your whole salary? So no, God, of course I'm not willing to do that. That's stupid. Well, faith looks stupid sometimes. Abel said, hey, I'm going to operate on faith. And I'm going to offer all that I have. And Cain says, did God really say to bring all that you have? Does he say, does he, or does he just want me to bring an offering? So he decided in his mind he was going to bring an offering. It wasn't acceptable to God. It planted a seed of bitterness and anger in his heart toward God and his brother. And he ultimately killed his brother as a result. And so what I'm saying here is that we are prompted and we are, we are led to live a life of faith. And what we understand is that faith is faith is is initiated by God. God gives us the ability to believe him and he tells us that what we're supposed to do and we're to act on it. And so you look at these men and you see how how did they develop their faith? How was one looked at as a man of faith and the other one looked at as as not a man of faith? How was one respected and the other not respected of God, even when God says he's not a respecter of persons? Well, that's what I want to answer for you today. And the first thing we're going to talk about faith based on this story is that faith, first of all, is about believing in the existence of God. That's about believing in the existence of God and coming to God and connecting with him. It begins with belief, belief that he exists, but it's also believing that he is God and he's the ruler and creator of the earth and of humanity and, and that he is in control of the world. And he desires to take that place of lordship in every certain every person's individual life. And so you have to begin with believing that he exists. Abel didn't struggle with believing that God existed. His entire existence alone was um, consumed by the presence of God. So God formed his father out of the dust of the ground and he breathed into his nostrils the, the breath of life and he became a living soul. And from his father, he took a rib and he made the woman and the woman became alive and, and they... They um, were married and they had a relationship, a marriage relationship. They were given to one another to be fruitful and multiply the earth. That's how Abel and Cain came into existence. And so they knew that their parents had walked and talked with God in the garden. They knew God. They knew God existed. They didn't struggle with that. It didn't take 
faith for able to believe that God existed. He had full proof that God was real. But so many of us today, but we, we struggle with the existence of God. We struggle with it. But did you know that there is no such a thing as an atheist? And there are people here today that might tell you they're an atheist. I know there are people that come to our church that say, hey, I'm an atheist. Um, but what I've found is I, I really don't believe that there is a, such a thing as an atheist. I believe that they what the Bible says is they suppress the truth of God. That's in Psalm chapter 14, I believe, 14 verse 1. 14 verse 1 actually says that the fool has said in his heart that there is no God. But Romans 1 says when it comes to belief that people suppress that belief. They just push the knowledge of God and the existence of God away. They push it out of their mind because they don't want to believe it. Because they can't get their mind wrapped around how God operates and why God is the way He is and why God allows suffering and why God did this to them. And they just push God away. But the Bible says that people... Do not not believe there's a God. They just suppress that belief. So it takes it takes a lot of faith to believe that for many people to believe that God is real and that God is who he says he is. But here's what belief is. Belief is more than just this mental attitude toward God. Belief is a lot more than just this mental attitude toward God to say that God exists or or doesn't exist. Hey, it really gets from your head and into your heart when you take a look at creation. When you look at the universe and you wonder how the universe came into existence and you think that it just happened by an explosion. I had this conversation with my son the other day. It just doesn't make sense that it just happened by chance. I believe an explosion took place, but God made the explosion happen. Amen? I look at the lives of people. I look at the human body. I look at the circulatory system. I look at I look at the nervous system. I look at how everything works in conjunction with the other and how it's so perfectly put together and how how God says that um that before he knew us that he formed us in our mother's womb and that he gave us life and he gave us purpose and he ordained us for something to accomplish you look at people's lives and you have to know that we have the handprints of God on our lives that God created this God created you so it's more than just a mental attitude toward God when we get that in our minds, we, we have to fall down in, in thanks and praise to God for what He's made and what He's done and how He desires to have a relationship with each and every one of us. And so the belief is not just this positive mental attitude toward God. Faith is about making it personal. Here's the second thing that you need to write down. Faith is having full assurance and confidence in God and His Word. So you make it personal and then you have full assurance and confidence in God and His Word. In other words, you reconcile in your mind that God is real. And then you reconcile in your mind that what He says is true. That what He says is true. If you believe what He says is true, then you'll have full assurance and confidence in Him. You'll be able to say, I trust Him. I trust God. Can you say that today? Can you say, I trust God? I trust God. Hey, I trust God. I can say it with words that just roll off my lips, or I can say it from the heart. And that's the question you have to ask yourself. Do you trust God? And do you trust Him with your whole life? I used to say, I trust God with my whole life. 
I used to say that my spiritual gift is faith. It's just believing and believing in God and believing God is real and believing everything that God says. And then as I got older and became an adult, I, I realized that God was going to test me individually and He's going to test my faith. And then I had to realize that my faith wasn't near as strong as I thought it was. I still struggle in that area of faith. And so you say, well, what did you do when God said, give up your whole salary? Well, after about an hour or so rolling around in the bed trying to go to sleep and, and God still just prompting me to, to answer, I said, okay, God, I'm willing to give up my whole salary. And now the key word is willing. So I came back and make a long story short, I told, I told our trustees that I'm, I'm, I'm giving up my whole salary. And we were going through a difficult time as a church. And I said, if we can't pay our bills, I don't get paid. Every bill gets paid. If there's anything left over, I'd appreciate a tip. That would be nice. And there's a lot to the story. But what I saw is in the next few weeks how God began to put a plan in place to take care of a deep financial debt and a deep financial need that this church had. And um, I never missed. I never missed a paycheck. I never missed my salary. What I did see is that God began to bring people here and put things in place to uh, to repay and to restore and to build up our body and to give us an opportunity not to just survive and and exist as a church, but He gave us an opportunity to thrive as the body of Christ and to be able to do ministry the way God wanted us to do ministry. And what God showed is that God is faithful when we believe Him and we have full assurance and confidence in Him and His Word. And we just step out to, to obey. And that's exactly what Cain and Abel faced with, with God the Father. Hey, this is what I want you to do. I want you to worship me and I want you to bring the very best you have. And I want you to believe that I'll take care of you. Isn't that what Hebrews uh, chapter 11 says? In verse 6 it says, it is impossible to please God without faith. And I would, I would venture that everybody in here wants to please God. Your desire is to please God. You may be here today so that God will be pleased with you. Well, God's not just going to be pleased with you because you're in church. But God will be pleased with you if you demonstrate great faith. It says, it's impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to Him must believe that God exists and that He rewards those who sincerely seek Him. And that's the heart that God saw in Abel. It's just a heart to believe and that God is a rewarder of those who live by faith. And Abel chose to believe and God blessed him. But they, all, they both came to the crossroads. They both came to the place where they were challenged to live by faith. You and I are challenged on a daily basis to live by faith. Here are some things that we face in Scripture alone, just in God's Word that, is, that, are, that are challenging to us in our faith. It says, first of all, in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So everything within my own strength and my own efforts are going to fall short of bringing God glory. I have to do it God's way. So there's the crossroads right there. There's a crisis of belief that we have to face. Am I going to do it my way or am I going to do it God's way? Um, the second thing is God calls us to live in sacrifice daily. He says to be a daily sacrifice, to be a living sacrifice in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Here's another area of, of crisis that we face. He says that the first shall be last 
and the last shall be first. How many of you struggle with that one? Nobody struggles with that one. Come on. Either you're better than me or you're not awake. One or the other. So how many of you struggle with that one? I struggle with that one. I struggle with that one in every area of my life. I want to be the best. I mean, I'm competitive. I'm competitive when I'm driving down the highway. I want to be the first one there. I don't want to be stuck in the back of the line. I try to cut. I take exits. I cut across the median. That's me. I'm that guy. So I don't want to be last. I got to be the first one to get there. I'm working on that. When Philip said, hey, uh, yell out why you want to praise God, I started to say, his patience, because I've learned that God is very patient with me. And I hope that you're experiencing that as well. But we struggle with that. We struggle to, to be last and let others be first. We struggle with serving others. He's called us to serve one another. He says, hey, be a giver. Luke chapter 6, verse 38. It's not on the screen, but it says this. He says, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it'll be measured back to you. And so those who live by faith are givers and they believe that God's going to give back a certain measure. We don't know how much he's going to give back. We don't know what he's going to give back. We just have to believe that he's going to give back. Amen. And so that that's that's giving by faith. And then he says, hey, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. That's a that's a challenge. That's a crisis of belief for us. He says, look not into your own things, but on the things of others. That's a challenge. That's a crisis of belief for us, because to look on the things of others and to be concerned about the welfare of others more than we're concerned about our own welfare. That means we have to trust that somebody else is going to take care of us. And he says, if we live by faith, that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So we have to believe his word. And how about this one? Forgive one another. If you won't forgive each other, my father will not forgive you. That's a crisis of belief. We come to those crossroads and we have to make decisions. And God says, hey, bring your offering. Abel said, hey, I'm going to believe that God is a rewarder. That God's going to reward me. That God's going to give to me. And here's what I've noticed about people who live by faith. In the Old Testament, people didn't see God do big things and then decide to have big faith because that would mean that their belief was based on what they saw God do. Now, they had big faith, and so God chose to do big things in their life. They chose faith first. They chose to just believe. And if God said, bring it, they brought it. If God said, bring a big sacrifice... They brought the big sacrifice and that's what gave the, gave God pleasure and gave them righteous, uh, made them righteous in the sight of God. It wasn't their works, it was their faith. And they did that by just obeying the word of God and believing that God was who he said he was and that God would do what he said he would do. They sought the kingdom of God first and his righteousness and all those other things just fell into place because they lived by faith. I don't know what you believe about God, but God doesn't ask us to do things so that He can see us fall into a trap or just to fail because He has some wicked, weird sense of humor. No, God does that. He wants to see us living by faith because He wants to know if we trust Him or not. 
Jeremiah 31 3 says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. That's who God is. God is faithful. God is just and God is holy. God is real. God is true. Number three is this. Faith is coming and believing that God exists. Faith is having this firm assurance that God is who He says He is and is having confidence that His Word is true. And then number three is faith is presently and actively following God into the unknown. I call this uncharted faith. In fact, I preached a whole sermon series about it last year. But this is what faith is. It is believing who God that God is who He says He is, and it is presently and actively, based on that faith, following God into the unknown. That when God calls me to move, I do it. When God calls me to do something, I do it. When God says, hey, forgive that person, I do it. When God says, hey, serve your neighbor, I do it. And when God says, hey, I want you to pack up and I want you to move, then I do it. And I trust that God's going to take care of me. So there's a belief and understanding about faith that many people seem to hold tight to, and that is that faith is a religious belief. And that faith is personal. And that faith is for here, and it's for church, it's for Sundays, it's it's what we do when we come to church. We're practicing our faith. Well, you're practicing your faith when you come to church if you believe that church or that 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 faith is a religious belief. And that's not what faith is. What happens when you come to church? I watch people when they come in the door. They take their kids and they take them back to the kids' ministry and they drop them off and they take a deep breath and they say, yes. Okay. It's free time, right? I mean, it's it's just, I get a moment to myself. Get the kids dropped off, they come back and you might grab a cup of coffee. You might have a conversation. You come in and you sing a couple of songs and then you hear a guy like me get up and talk to you and teach a lesson from the Bible. And we call that our faith. How much faith did it take for you to get here this morning? How much faith? What? And, and based on this, what did it cost you other than a little gas money and a little time? What did it cost you? Faith is not our religious belief, nor is it our church practices. See, when we look at the lives of people like Abel, we realize that faith is about so much more. It's about obeying what God has called me to do. And here's what I want you to understand. That our faith is not forged at church. Our faith is forged where we live our life for where we live our life. You know what it means to forge something? You know what an anvil is? Anybody know what an anvil is? An anvil is a big piece, a big hunk of steel that is used to beat steel into shape. And you you put this piece of steel in fire and it gets real hot and it begins to glow. And you place it on the anvil and you get a big hammer and you begin to beat it into the shape that you want it to be in. And that's what it means to forge something. Do you feel like you were forged, not forced, but forged to come to church today? Did God have to beat you into shape to get you here? Some people feel that way. But here's what it means to be forged. It means to give 
of something that's going to cost you something. It is to take a big risk. It is to say, God, I have been waiting for nine months for this flock or this herd to be born so that we can have the assurance that we're going to eat and have meat for the next year. From Cain's perspective, it's God, I planted these seeds. I tilled the ground. I planted the seeds. You watered. Okay, I'll give you that. It grew. But this entire crop is meant to feed our family for the whole year. Did God really say to bring it all? Or did He just say to give an offering? And when you have to make that kind of a decision, it feels like you're being beaten. It hurts. It's a struggle. But you know, it's, it's real easy to turn away and push away the voice of God. The still small voice. Because God is saying, Hey, hey Brian, I know you're trying to sleep. Let me ask you a question. Are you willing to give up your whole salary for a year? What? I, I, don't, I don't think I heard that right. That's stupid right there. Go back to sleep. See, God, God's, God's not, Hey, Brian, wake up, man. Wake up. You got to give up your salary. I got a plan for you. That's not how God did it. God's, hey. It's very easy to tune out the voice of God and miss it. But it's also very easy to hear what God is saying, to hear it and know full well what He means, and then just to dismiss it. Here's why this is so important. You look at Luke chapter 18 and verse 8. And we just finished talking about, about how one day Jesus is coming back and He's going to judge and there all this stuff about the future. But in Luke chapter 18 verse 8, Jesus says these words. He says, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on the earth? When the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on the earth? I read, I read a statistic yesterday that asked people, do you believe that if Jesus lived on the earth right now, that He would be pleased with modern day religion? And it was 73 or 76% of the people who answered the poll said no. He wouldn't be pleased. You know why He wouldn't be pleased? Because we believe that faith is a religious thing. We don't understand that faith is in every decision that we make. And it's about taking a risk and making a sacrifice and giving God our best in every single thing that we do. That when God says, hey, love your neighbor like yourself, that it wasn't a suggestion. And that when He says to love God and love your neighbor, that they're connected to one another. That you're really not loving God unless you're loving your neighbor. And there's only one thing that pleases Him. It's that kind of faith. And Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on the earth? And that's the question we have to ask ourselves today. 
If Jesus Christ came back right now, would he find me living my life by faith? Am I taking risks? Would I be considered a radical by people who know that I'm a Christian, that I'm a believer? Or do they even see it at all? We look at Abel, we look at Cain, and Abel, Abel is the very first, he's the very first example we have of what it means to live by faith. It just means to come and not just bring our best, but it's to come and to bring our all. And here's why it matters. Our faith matters. There's four reasons why you gotta have faith. Four reasons why you gotta get it right. First, is an evolving world. Our world is changing by the minute. Second is our ethics. It's what, our, what we believe. It's what we value. It's what we live our life by. So an evolving world and ethics. And number three, it's emptiness. Emptiness. People have broken lives. They have empty lives. They, they have no purpose. And when you live by faith, hey, you find your purpose. You live out your faith within the context of your purpose. And then number four, your eternity. Eternity depends on it. Eternity depends on it. And here's where it starts. It starts with believing that He exists. It starts with forming a relationship with Him based on His love, His grace, His mercy, His forgiveness, His forgiveness, your confession and repentance alone. Establishing that relationship Faith is about believing God for who He is and believing Him at His Word. And last, faith is about following Him into the unknown. And that's the kind of faith that I want Jesus Himself to find in me when He comes back. I don't just want that for myself, but I want that for our church. I want that for all believers. Because that is what will please the Lord. Amen? Let's pray together. Philip, will you come? Father, today I just... I thank you, Father, for allowing us the opportunity to to trust you, to know you. God, that you gave us your word and you tell us in your word who you are, what you will do. And 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 you, you invite us into a relationship and you invite us to trust you. And sometimes you do crazy things and and say, just trust me. And it doesn't make sense. And it it seems stupid to us. And we can't get our heart and our mind wrapped around it. But God, what I know is that you are trustworthy. What I know is that you are believable. What I know is that, God, you are authentically you. You are real. You are alive. And you are here. You are here. And you are begging. You are, you are begging for a relationship with us that is real and alive and personal based on an active, radical faith. And Father, today I just pray that that's what you will form in us. That we'll have eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to perceive. Your will, your calling, as you move us, Lord, to be the body, the hands and feet of Christ. Today, Father, I pray that you bless our service, bless the message. I pray that it plants a seed. I pray that it brings forth a harvest in the lives of people in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand just for a few minutes? How's God speaking to you right now?
Today, my heart is this. Is that you will hear the gospel every time you come to Clearpoint Church and it will move you, it will motivate you. The first step of faith that anybody can make is to realize that God is who he says he is. And that we are who God says we are. And what he says we are is we're lost without him. But to have him, to have a relationship and to measure up and to come to him and have a personal relationship. We just confess our sin. We repent from that sin. We call on him as Lord. We make him Lord of our life and we follow him by faith. He says, if you confess your sin, that he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's how it begins. And for the next few minutes, our prayer team is going to be here available. If you have questions or you want prayer, you come. If you want to come and pray by yourself, come. If you want to stand there and pray by yourself where you are, kneel at your chair, then do that. But don't walk out of here today turning your ear and your heart away from what God is saying to you right now. You come as Philip leads us this morning.